If the great powers competition ever actually got to shooting, a Defense Department assessment questions whether the United States industrial base could support a major war effort. That's according to a deep-dive study from October that didn't get a lot of attention. But some members of Congress noticed, among them Wisconsin Republican Mike Gallagher, a member of the Armed Forces Committee and a former Marine Corps captain. Representative Gallagher, good to have you on. It's great to be with you. Appreciate it. So this report basically was pretty pessimistic from my reading of it, and it had a long list of recommendations. But basically it said that the uh, there was a question as to whether the industrial base could support the kind of effort that might be called for under what military leaders see as the next possible conflict. What was your take? Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think this could be the most important issue that we aren't talking about. And so I actually am glad that, that we've started the conversation um, that must be ongoing as we try and execute the national defense strategy. And the report was accomplished thanks to an executive order by the president. And I give the administration credit for recognizing the need to analyze and cultivate a strong defense industrial base, not only to rebuild the military today, but more importantly, to be able to surge in the event of a national emergency, a great powers conflict, something like that. But this can't be another report that simply sits on a bureaucrat shelf and collects dust. This is, needs to be a national priority. I mean, in World War II, which seems to still be the reference point for a lot of military thinking, you know, you had the River Rouge plant in uh, Michigan, in Detroit, gigantic scale types of factories. Industry itself has changed where it's almost unrecognizable from those days. Steel and the mills. global economy has also changed. It has become more interconnected. And I think, you know, as I read the report, really a couple points stood out to me. First, I do think it, actu- it accurately captured how reduced manufacturing capabilities and capacity have put our ability to produce defense materiel in a precarious situation. For example, uh, the lack of production capacity is a major reason why it's going to take past 2050 to achieve the battle force fleet of 355 ships that multiple reviews have, have, uh, have, uh, have identified as a key goal. That's the minimum size needed to ex- execute the national defense strategy articulated by the Navy. Uh, it also shows just how limited our emergency production surge cap- uh, capability is. Uh, my next major takeaway was the report's consistent use of China as an example of a country that is both working to expand its industrial base while also actively working to hinder ours. China's absolute domination of the rare earth um, market, for example, illustrates this. These metals are essential to building modern weapon systems. And according to the report, in 2016, China imported almost five times as much of those metals as the next closest country. So China is seeking to corner the rare earth market through malign economic practices that affect market prices, it stifles competition, and prevent new market entrants. And with respect to the topic of shipbuilding, I've talked to some naval leaders on that. And of course, there's only really two or three major shipbuilders. It seems like one quick fix to that would be to go to foreign yards that might not be in unfriendly hands and just watch the heck out of them while they build something for the Navy. Well, we want to be careful that we're not, you know, taking the seven shipyards that are active right now and doing anything to reduce that further. As you allude to, there has been a contraction in the overall number of shipyards. There's been a, a huge decline in commercial shipbuilding in the United States. That's also, in turn, impaired our ability to build military ships. Um, one thing we could do while exploring foreign options, and there are creative partnerships, for example, uh, in my district, we have a foreign company in Fink and Terry that owns our shipyard, Marinette Marine, Ficantary Marinette Marine. And so, you know, we're going to be submitting a design for a frigate that's based on a foreign frem, and there's the ability to achieve efficiencies while also still investing in an American defense industrial base and making sure that we're supporting manufacturing jobs. 
uh, in the Midwest. So there might be a hybrid strategy. But the best thing I think Congress could do is to end the uncertainty over the budget process. I mean, that's one of the findings of the report is just how inconsistent appropriations and the effect of the Budget Control Act create market instability. As the Secretary of the Navy famously testified last year, because of uncertainty surrounding continuing resolutions in the budget, the Navy effectively put $4 billion in a trash can and lit it on fire. So Congress needs to step up and do its job. Um, foremost among that is to ensure that we're continuing the military rebuild. That's at least a 3 to 5% real growth year to year. That means a top line of about 752 to $766 billion. Um, and I'm all for Congress, and I've advocated for this within the committee, doing its own study of the defense industrial base as part of its oversight responsibilities, um, both to assess this re- this report and also come to its own conclusions about how we can better direct our legislative energy as authorizers and appropriators. We're speaking with Wisconsin Congressman Mike Gallagher, a member of the House Armed Services Committee. And there is a quite a long laundry list for congressional action, some of which might come in the uh, NDAA, Section 800 areas. But some of them are much larger than that. Some of them even go beyond the Defense Department, like creation of a national advanced manufacturing strategy by the White House Office of Science and Technology. Lots and lots of bullet points there. How interested do your colleagues appear to you to be in this whole list of bullets? Well, I think there is a a growing recognition. Well, let me say this. You know, obviously, when you're talking about the intricacies of the defense industrial base or the national you know, innovation base, you know, this, these aren't as sexy a topics as, let's say, the latest controversy over uh, Mueller, Comey, or the wall funding. Um, so it, it is a struggle sometimes to get people to pay attention. Um, but I think there is a widespread recognition that we are falling behind in key areas of competition with China, both economically and militarily. And I do believe there is a bipartisan source of support for rebuilding the military. On the Armed Services Committee, we've had two years of success in that regard. Uh, The Armed Services Committee remains a place where you can do solid bipartisan work, particularly when it comes to um, positioning ourselves to win this long-term competition with China, getting getting tough with China economically. So I think there's an opportunity there, but it's incumbent upon people in office like myself to keep making the case and looking for ways where we can reach across the aisle to put the interests of the country ahead of you know people's narrow parochial or political interests. And so that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, even though I'm going to be in the minority in the next Congress, my approach isn't going to change. I'm still going to work as hard as possible to do what's right for the military, do what's right for the country, and make sure that you know 50 years from now we can look back and say that we maintained U.S. primacy, uh, we maintained U.S. global leadership, and we kept the country safe. That idea of budgeting, and there's two aspects of that. One is the regularity of it, so at least there's some assurance of the money flow, which keeps maybe some non-traditional players interested in federal contracting, and there might be some manufacturers that are not helping the military now. But then there's the level of budgeting and disagreements over where the money that's available does go. So it seems like that's still pretty much of an uphill push. Yeah, well, I was glad to see that the president seemed to reverse course and endorse a higher top-line budget. It's important that we get that consistent signal from the White House if we're to have any hope of success. Obviously, whenever you spend taxpayer dollars, you have to make difficult choices. I tend to think we should take care of the national defense, which is our first and foremost constitutional responsibility, indeed our only mandatory one, prior to talking about our other priorities. But the reality is at some point we're going to have to confront mandatory spending and the way in which entitlement spending is crowding out all our other priorities. Because defense spending, even as we've increased it over the last few years, still occupies um, you know, we're still spending as a function of GDP below the post-World War II average. And so 
Part of this also involves making the case to the American people for why it's important to invest consistently. And then on your, your initial uh, question of just the budget process, I do think we need to explore things like moving towards a biannual budgeting process uh, so we don't get into the stop-start budgeting so the military can plan and, and therefore save money over the long term. One of the recommendations of a different review, uh, the review of the national defense strategy that came out recently, suggested that we should be budgeting on a five-year timeline um, that seems a bit uh, unrealistic, but I'd be in favor of anything that requires us to take a longer time horizon as we do budgeting. Well, some of the entitlements are budgeted on the forever timeline. Exactly, exactly right. And I think I think most Americans don't fully understand this, that you know, most of their money that they give to the federal government just goes out the door every year. Upwards of 70% of it goes out the door every year without any review from the elected representatives of the American people. So I just would say regardless of how you feel about Social Security, whether you want to tinker with benefits, increase, decrease, regardless of how you feel about Medicare, Medicaid, critical social safety net programs, I think we should all agree that the uh, elected representatives of the American people should be in the business of conducting effective oversight, both to ensure there's no waste, to ensure that you know we're spending money on things that are working, that we're not funding failure. Uh, and right now that's not happening. It pains me to say, but that's absolutely not happening, which is also why a key component of this is going to be reform of Congress as an institution. Yeah, that's a subject for another day, I guess. <laughs> Wisconsin Republican Mike Gallagher is a member of the House Armed Services Committee. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Find a link to the Defense Department report and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.